Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello and welcome to the Game Day Premier League podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface, Dean Ashton the former West Ham and England forward and TalkSport's Alex Crook Coming up, Super Salah goes ballistic and Tottenham are atrocious. West Ham beaten by Reds and Spurs stunned by the Seagulls. Chelsea next for Jose, heard that before. And West Ham face Villa who squeezed past Saints despite their sins. Also, all eyes on Bamford as Leeds face Leicester. There's a relegation six-pointer for the Baggies and the Blades and a bloke from Preston who's been on loan at such esteemed surrounds as Kit Kat Crescent gets his big break. All on the podcast that is more John Moss than Maradona. Explanation on the way. The Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. And a big hello to the former England and West Ham striker Dean Ashton. Hello, how are you? I'm great, thank you, Masterface. How are you? Very good, thank you. We spent quite a lot of time together this uh, week, haven't we? So um, I know that you enjoyed um, the uh, game between uh, Arsenal and Manchester United, which we will get to a little bit later on, despite the fact that it was a nil-nil. What were your other highlights of the weekend? I think you would have to say Liverpool's performance against West Ham and maybe how poor West Ham were, how much they froze, I thought, in the big... The big occasion, that was a, a disappointing performance, I thought, from West Ham. Um, but Liverpool just looked back to their frightening counter-attacking best in the second half. That was a, that was a good game to watch. Yeah, it's amazing what a performance against Tottenham can do for you. Uh, Alex Crook <laughs> is with us as well. You all right? I'm good. I'm good, yeah. Um, it was a good game, as you say, United-Arsenal. Um, two quite timid teams, it has to be said. But my highlight of the weekend was... Brighton beating Tottenham because I predicted it right at the start of the, the boot room program and was able to abuse Darren Ambrose for the rest of the evening. Is that your favourite pastime? <laughs> I, I was, you moved I was on pleased to for Brighton. Ambrose baiting. I, I like a bit of Ambrose baiting, but I was pleased for Brighton because they've been due that kind of win and um, we'll come on to it later, but Jose Mourinho's post-match comments were an absolute disgrace, really, asking us to disbelieve what we saw with our own eyes. It wasn't a, a defensive masterclass from Brighton, 10 men behind the ball they out-footballed Tottenham and, and should have won by more. You say, you know, that Brighton deserved that win. They have been waiting quite a long time for it. I think seven months. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm sure they enjoyed it last night. Right, let's get to some big midweek games because there's some huge fixtures, including a battle of Tuchel and Jose. Edge of the penalty area. Hudson Odoi onto his left foot. Tees up as Pinacueta, who fires it in. And Chelsea have their first goal under Thomas Tuchel. And it's the skipper, Cesar as Pinacueta, rifling it in. Five minutes before half time. And it's Chelsea 1, Burnley 0. Bergvine, edge of the area. High BR. Oh, maybe they're not. He's just spanked one in from 20 yards. What a response from Tottenham. Crashing the ball from the edge of the D. Pierre-Emile Hoybier scores his first goal for Tottenham Hotspur. And it's an absolute blaster. Marcus Alonso travels the ball and then volleys it into the net. What a goal from Marcus Alonso. Inside the six-shot box. Impudent skill to juggle the ball onto his left foot. And then he lashed it into the top corner. Marcus 
Marcus Alonso, who has surely sealed all three points. It had been coming. The referee blows the whistle. What a win on the South Coast for Brighton. Graham Potter, he uh, goes over and high-fives Jose Mourinho. But this has been a bad night for Mourinho. It's been a bad night for Gareth Bale. And you have to say that two defeats in a week is really casting some sort of shadow over whether or not they can challenge for the title this season. Well, as you alluded to right at the very top of the programme, all not well with Tottenham Hotspur. Serge Aurier storming out of a game that Dean and I were at on Thursday night when they uh, lost to Liverpool. Harry came missing with injury. Jose hitting out, uh, which is, uh, I suppose, something because at least someone's showing some fight because the rest of them looked pretty timid, Dean, didn't they, against Brighton? Yeah, they did. And I think it just shows... um probably how one-dimensional Tottenham are in terms of without Harry Kane being simply the focal point of the whole team and the way that they attack, um, that the rest of them look pretty uh, look pretty timid without him. The, the reliance on him was incredible, I thought, against uh, once he went off against Liverpool and against Brighton and Gareth Bale, who was in there to sort of maybe take some of the fight, which I think is a little bit unfair just to expect him to walk in and, and suddenly be the, the Harry Kane replacement straight away. The but, only thing I'll say about uh, that, Dean, is he hasn't just walked in. He's been there for five months, hasn't he? I mean, so, I mean, you, you would have thought they would have been priming him for this annual injury that Harry Kane seems to pick up around this time of year. Yeah, but he's just dripped him in now and again and he's hardly filled him full of confidence, has he, in terms of the way he took him off and brought him on or not brought him on. So that's so another failing for the manager Liverpool. then, isn't it? And what I'm saying is it shouldn't just be all on Gareth Bale. I think that's a little bit unfair when you look at the rest of the team. And Crookie, you, you obviously saw the game and, and it's not as if it was just Bale that wasn't very good. No, it was a poor team performance, but it's interesting you use the word confidence there because Jose Mourinho is a confidence killer. Um, and look no further than Deli Alley. Um, I, I know he's probably not fit at the moment, but Spurs in that game were crying out for just the bit of creative spark that we know that Deli Ali can provide. And I do think it's a bit of a dereliction of duty on Jose Mourinho's part. The Spurs have this asset who probably two years ago you could have got 70, 80 million pound for on the open market that he's just cast aside because he doesn't like his attitude, because he doesn't feel he fits into his very negative system. I think it's a disgrace. And I think if I was Daniel Levy, I'd be saying, look, we're not winning matches. We're not creating enough goals. We need a bit of leadership, which Deli Ali also provides. Find a way to get him in the team. That's your job as a manager. This is our squad of players. Your job is to get the best out of that squad of players. I don't think in the current climate, when money is tight anyway, you can just afford to cut adrift one of your key players. It's interesting that you talk about getting the best out of your players because he's tried twice now in a row to play a back three organise a system to, I think, match up the opposition or, or to nullify the opposition, Dean. Nullify he's had Brighton. To, well, exactly, who don't score any goals. Who, and then abandoned it at half-time on two occasions. Well, and yet He hasn't yet stuck his hands up and said, this was my fault. When I spoke to him on Thursday night, he was pretty adamant that it was all to do with the players making individual mistakes, which is why they lost to Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, look, I think it's a bit of a mess. I think, again, at half time, you know, after the game, sorry, he mentioned about half time, he felt the players were sad. And that, well, who, you know, that's, I think that is your job as a manager to turn that around for the players after a, a, a tough defeat and, and pick the players up and um, get them back to, to starting the game properly. It, it's a mess because it's not, ju- it isn't just Jose. The players have got to take responsibility as well. This isn't under 12s football. And, um, and, and, I think the for me the biggest the biggest um thing that sticks out is that without Harry Kane they do not have a way to play at all. When you look at their recent results, I mean they've they've beaten the likes of Sheffield United and Wickham, but anybody else who's been sort of reasonably good, they've they they stuttered against, haven't they? And they go into this game on Thursday night against Chelsea, which and this is this is the important thing, isn't it now? Because they're playing against a, a, a local rival, a team where the fans don't really like each other. Thomas Tuchel apparently was a Spurs fan when he was a kid. Jose Mourinho has regularly uh, had a contact with Chelsea. He's been their manager twice and has declared himself a Chelsea fan. Um, 
he also said he would never manage Tottenham Hotspur until, of course, they rang him up and asked him to do just that. Um, but there's lots of fascinating subplots. But the key thing is here, Tottenham need to win this game because otherwise they're in a situation where Chelsea will go above them in the table in all likelihood. And all of a sudden, the momentum switches back to West London. Yeah, and no, I, I actually fancy... Chelsea to get something from the game um, I think already uh, Thomas Tuchel has, has improved them defensively in the two games that we've seen so far I did play I Wolves think, and Burnley yeah but you know what he did he played two sitting midfielders um, which as you know I, I was crying out for on this on this podcast under Frank Lampard so I think quickly he's identified a system that will bring the best out of the players that's the coach's job uh, and before we came on air you, I suggested Tottenham were languishing in the table you said no Chelsea are languishing Chelsea will finish above Tottenham is my prediction. Yeah. And this, this game will be the first step in well, that direction. Going into this game, Chelsea in seventh, but teams around them and below them actually have two games in hand on them. So uh, technically, Chelsea are probably ninth or tenth in the table in terms of points per game at this moment in time. But this is an interesting moment for them because they've gone unbeaten twice against Berlin, against Wolves. Yeah, they've made steps towards a, a slightly different way of playing under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, I mean, I think we can say, Dean, he's used... His squad, let's just say it like that, he's made a hell of a lot of changes. Ten for the first game, four for the second game. Quite happy to uh, change the system, reinvent Callum Hudson-Odoi as a right wing back. Although when you look at the average positions of where the players play, it's very much sort of like a lopsided back four with Athbilicueta on that right-hand side. And he's still getting up on that right-hand side, as we saw for the goal against Burnley on Sunday. So he's obviously not afraid to tear up the convention and and and, and think outside the box. And he's got a reputation for that. Yeah, and um, look, I think if I was a player in that squad, I would be feeling a little bit uncomfortable at the moment because he's clearly not afraid early on anyway to drop big name players, bring back players that have clearly been out in the cold like Marcus Alonso. Um, and that would that would make me feel uncomfortable if I was in that squad at the moment because you you would not feel as if you're guaranteed um, a spot. I would like to think that maybe that's going to give them a little edge going forward, which again, I would agree with Crook that, that Chelsea um, and yourself, that Chelsea will, will, will beat Tottenham because I think it's just given all the players that, that little edge that was needed um, you know, some players may be just getting a little bit too comfortable at Chelsea under Frank and and there's clearly not that comfort anymore with Tuchel coming in and basically uh, obliterating the squad and saying anybody that is at this football club has got a chance to play. Yeah, Marcus Alonso wasn't out in the cold. He was in the footballing equivalent of Siberia, wasn't he? Um <laughs> He was, I don't think we hadn't seen him since half time in the game with West Bromwich Albion when he was summarily dismissed because of what was a dreadful first half performance. You were at that game, didn't you, if I remember rightly? Um, the smile but, on his face, by the way, when he scored the goal and tugging was a at the smile badge. of satisfaction aimed at Frank Lampard, <laughs> yeah, I think firmly aimed at Frank I think Lampard. You might be right there. Um, one of the things I'll say about Chelsea, though, they weren't particularly sort of entertaining to watch, were they? There was a lot of no. keep ball. Um, again, for the second game in a row. I mean, they're just feeling their way into this new system, but they don't look particularly potent up front. And when you've got someone like Timo Werner, uh, who's supposed to be this master finisher, although hasn't scored now for 12 Premier League games, Abraham substituted at half-time, Olivier Giroud didn't come on for him, they changed the system, Pulisic came on instead. Mount, I thought, was terrific during the game, yeah. apart from his finishing, um, but they still lack a little bit of a cutting edge. Yeah, I mean... Dean will know what it's like when a striker is, is struggling for confidence and I think Werner no, actually had he always used had, to score he doesn't know what that's like do you Dean you never went for a Baron spell did you I actually went 10 games without scoring a so goal so you're better than then, Timo Werner I am I am and then scored a hat trick but Crook's right it's, it's, it's such a horrible feeling because that is what you're judged on and he got four shots on target I think in the game but none of them were ever going into the net all of them were lacking power straight at the goalkeeper someone going through the motions but with no real belief that they were going to score a goal and Tammy Abraham looked a bit lost up front as well for me so that's a problem that Thomas Tuchel needs to solve quickly I think he said it's his job to put his arm around Werner and restore his confidence it's difficult isn't it because the Premier League is so unrelenting and so brutal that opposition defences will sniff it out if, if you're not quite 
firing on all cylinders and he's certainly not at the moment and Gareth Bale versus Timo Werner on uh, Thursday night very much looking forward to this who is going to come up with a magic moment probably Gareth Bale because he's very good at clearing the ball off the line if uh, Sunday is anything to go by yeah obviously it's, it's every time I hard against a top team like Tottenham and uh, I think, like I said, the whole team worked for it to, to keep the zero, to yeah, to get the clean sheet, and um, yeah, we're really grateful and uh, uh, happy that we, we won today. Mane's got it again, in from Doherty, right footed towards the far corner, spurned away by Lloris, comes back to Trent, Alexander-Arnold, it's 2-0 now! I think it's the best this season and probably last as well, to be honest. Um, from start to finish, did everything we needed to do. Um, Great attitude around the pitch, good quality against a you know a top opponent. But I thought we deserved the win. I thought it was closer to two 0 than it was one one. Really, really proud of the players. The clean sheet, the goal, uh, the win. There's a lot to like. Oh, there is a run on the far side for Salah. A little over by Thiago, and Salah is in, and so is the ball smashed in by Mohamed Salah. VAR is asking Martin Atkinson to go and have a look at it. There was a handball, but was it relevant? It was, and that goal is going to be chalked off towards the far post. Oh, it's left to Mane, go Rodon, and he's picked it up and smashed it home, and Liverpool now have a 3-1 lead. That is a show of strength from the reigning champions of England. Do not write them off just yet. Of course, um, Liverpool played on Sunday as well and were absolutely mesmerising. They take on another team that are in good spirits in Brighton at 8.15 on Wednesday. Origi and Shaqiri started that game against West Ham, but Mohamed Salah was the star of the show, Dean Ashton. He was. Um, look, he was very good against Manchester United in the cup game. I thought he looked really sharp, really hungry to, to break that back line, which I think is the one thing that's been missing for Liverpool in this poor run is is the likes of Mane and Salah or Rigi or Firmino, whoever's playing is to break that back line. I thought Mane did it brilliantly against Spurs. I thought Salah was excellent against, against West Ham, really causing Cresswell a problem. Um, there is there is slight issues in terms of Rigi looks so, so poor. Shakiri walks a lot rather than being involved in the closing down and the pressurising and the runs beyond the forward line. What did you make well, of Gary Neville comparing his body shape to that of John Moss, by the way? I, I thought it was an outstanding bit of comedy, if I'm honest. <laughs> it, it had me laughing out loud on the sofa. I thought it was absolutely brilliant as Martin Tyler compared him to Maradona and he compared him more to John Moss. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> that was cracking me up. Um, Mohamed Salah, four seasons in a row now that he's scored 20-plus goals for Liverpool. The last person to do that was the great... Ian Rush, uh, that is an honour uh, that uh, anyone would be delighted to have bestowed upon them. Uh, and Alex, on deadline day, they signed Ben Davis from Preston North End. Um, I mean, obviously, that is the definition of a transfer out of the blue. Um, is that an upgrade on, on what they've got in terms of someone like Nat Phillips, who I think has done particularly well when called upon? See, I disagree on that. Whenever I've seen Nat Phillips, I think he looks way off being a Premier League player. So we'll we'll, we'll beg to differ on that one. Um, I, 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 I don't think he's top level Premier League, Champions League player. But what I think is, is that out of the two, Ryan, uh, Reese Williams and um, uh, Nat Phillips, he's the most reliable. That, it was brilliant to get in the... I mean, there was a brilliant free kick in that first half. West Ham curled it into the box and he was the one funneling, but he's the only one who went backwards into the six-yard area to head it away. He was the one who sensed the danger. I think they should both be playing for Bolton Wanderers, to be perfectly honest with you. Well, they were uh, before it, it, they went bust. Well, there you go. Um, but, I mean, you're right. This, this signing is, is completely out of the blue. He was uh, just about to sign a pre-contract agreement with Celtic, having turned down Bournemouth. I think it's probably emblematic of where a lot of Premier League clubs are at, at the moment. There just isn't the money around. I know they are big fans of Issa Diop at West Ham. And I think West Ham may well have been willing to let him go if Liverpool were prepared to stump up 20, 25 million. Same with Ben White at Brighton, who's a long-term target. If they could have paid 40 million pounds, they'd have got him away from the Amex, but they haven't got that kind of surplus cash. So this is very much a stopgap solution. I'm sure Ben Davis knows that. It's a chance that he couldn't turn down. It will be interesting to see 
how many minutes he actually plays in the Premier League, my guess would be not many. I think he's there as, as backup in case anything happens to the like of, of Jordan Henderson. I think Jurgen Klopp would still to pr- prefer to play him at centre-back than play Davis. I might be wrong. Um, Dean, this is boys' own stuff though, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> this is a guy who came through Preston's youth system. He's not a young player. He's 25 years of age. He played 19 games for Preston uh, this season, but he spent time on loan at York City, Tranmere Rovers, Southport, Newport County and Fleetwood Town. And now he's going into the champions of England. I mean, this is it's a great story, isn't it? It's a fantastic story, yeah. I think, um, obviously, the left-sided centre-back, the coveted left-sided centre-back that lots of um, lots of managers are looking for that he will probably slot into at, at Liverpool. But I just, I think it's laughable that Liverpool have left it. Liverpool, the champions of England and former European Champions League winners have gone to Preston, no disrespect to Preston, and Ben Davis to sort out their defensive problems. Now, look, I might have egg on my face and he might come in and be absolutely outstanding, but you can't tell me that Liverpool fans aren't going, what the hell is going on when we're leaving it this late and we're taking a player from the Championship to solve what needs to be a a Premier League winning run to overtake City till the end of the season. I just... I'm flabbergasted that this is what Liverpool have, have decided to do. It's so odd bearing in mind how well their scouting machine has worked over the last few years to identify talent, stick with their targets and uh, and make sure that what they've wanted, they've eventually got. They've been patient in the past. If you remember rightly, they decided they wanted Virgil van Dijk and no other centre-back. So therefore they waited an extra six months for him. And that at the time was a little bit damaging. Are they in the same position again? Have they got a bigger target in mind and they're waiting for that player to emerge or become free from their contract or in a place where the selling club will accept a reasonable bid? Well, the obvious one is Dayu Upamakano, who has a release clause that kicks in in the summer. And I think um, there's a lot of clubs looking at him, Chelsea, Manchester United and, and Liverpool certainly been mentioned in dispatches as well. So it's going to be fascinating to see where he ends up. I think he will end up in the Premier League. Um, but what it shows, I think, is a dearth in quality in that area. Because apart from Uwe Meccano, Napoli want massive money for Koulibaly. And I'm not sure he's as good as their price tag suggests. There isn't anybody else out there. I mean, the fact they sounded out Socrates before he returned to Greece is, is equally laughable, really, arguably more so. And Mustafi. I think they also made tentative inquiries for Mustafi as well. And there was an American player by the name of Aaron Long at New York Red Bulls who who they looked at. So I just don't think there's that many top-class central defenders knocking around at the moment. I felt a little bit sorry for Skodran Mustafi because um, it was one of those moments, a bit like when Adrian went from West Ham, was released from West Ham and ended up at Liverpool. You thought Mustafi's been jettisoned by Arsenal and then he's going to come back and be heroic and and help Liverpool win the title. And then uh, Liverpool went, actually, do you know what? There's this guy at Preston. We think we're going to take him instead. Poor bloke. Um, They take on a Brighton team who've got their first win at home uh, since July. Um, Look, I think you and I have talked about Matt Ryan on a regular basis and um, the, the, the impact that he had on games. I thought he was made too many mistakes. And I think if you look at the data and drill down into the data, that's pretty evident that that was a problem for them. Since Robert Sanchez has come into the team, they've had less mistakes and they're, they're not perfect. And I'm not saying that they, he is a, a sensational goalkeeper who will go on to be, um, you know, a golden glove winner, but he, I think he's, he's, he's had a calming presence and he's, he's saved more shots from distance than, than maybe Matt Ryan did. Yeah, they were damning statistics from Matt Ryan um, when you looked at Brighton's expected goals, which I know you're a, a big advocate of, but basically the majority of shots that opposition players were having were going past him. That's why Graham Potter felt the need to act. I don't think they've always defended brilliantly either. They, they, they have been better at that in the last uh, three matches. Seven points out of a possible nine now for Brighton suggests a, a corner has been turned, but obviously it goes without saying this is going to be a massive step up in opposition but there's a bit of confidence now and they put a bit of daylight between them and the bottom three and we'll we'll come on to the relegation battle but at the moment it's hard to make a case for any of those teams even with Fulham having a game in hand that are currently filling the relegation spots staying in the Premier League you could almost argue they're down Uh, well interesting because I think we've done that 
twice and then said they're all going to stay up and now we're saying they're all down again so I think the very fact that, that, that we had that conversation suggests that maybe it's not over yet but we'll look at it in detail in just a moment because it's been a, a really pivotal couple of weeks or couple of match days hasn't it because we've had so many games in quick succession the picture has changed very quickly um, the picture hasn't really changed too much for West Ham United who were in the top four at the beginning of the week I don't think any of us really believed that they were top four contenders they take on Aston Villa at 8.15 on Wednesday night two of the surprises of the season really I think Villa showed on Saturday they've got multiple threats going forward and can defend for their lives but they did get a bit of luck in that Southampton game and and West Ham I thought actually Dean and and as a former West Ham player you've probably got a better opinion on this than me um, that in the first half they could have gone for the jugular just a little bit more because Liverpool weren't really at it in the first half an hour yeah, they showed him too much respect. They looked frightened, to be honest, is how I um, sort of summed them up in that first half when when you're looking at that Liverpool side and you think, you know, we talked about Phillips at the back needing to be tested and Henderson because although he's playing well in that position, if you really were to get at them, then he's he's not going to be comfortable. He's not used to... The, the, the nuances you'd of playing at, at centre. You'd fancy it. As oh, a striker, you, you sit there, you look at a midfield player playing at centre-half, at you'd be thinking, here I go. Yeah, and, and I was disappointed in Antonio because a lot of his runs, he didn't time very well with that high line that Liverpool play and also the delivery then into him in behind. If you're going to play that in behind, it needs to be very cute against Liverpool because Alisson's so good at coming out. You just need to kind of float them over the top and let them sort of spin spin out wide. Um, I was just really disappointed, to be honest, in that they just allowed Liverpool to be too comfortable. Um, and that was a shame. But look, I think perspective is needed for West Ham. Tottenham did them a favour, so they stayed fifth. It's now about that, um, you know, the, the rebound from that and trying to put in another good performance against against Villa and, and try and get back on that sort of winning or unbeaten, unbeaten run. I think that's important for them. But They've, they've been very, very good this season. Worth pointing out that Villa start the week in ninth position, but only one point uh, behind uh, Everton and Chelsea. But with two games in hand on Chelsea and two games in hand on West Ham United, if they were to win their two games in hand, uh, they'd have 38 points and be just behind Leicester City in fourth. And although they weren't flawless against Southampton, they should have probably had a penalty against them and the offside decision was basically tighter than Daniel Levy's wallet. Um, Grealish has established himself as someone who is a real contender to be the Premier League's player of the year. Yeah, I thought he was sensational. Um, I mean, the, the the cross for the goal, brilliantly taken, by the way, by Ross Barkley. That was far from an easy header. I'm sure Dean yeah. would have been proud of that himself. But It's better than Marcus Alonso's header. <laughs> The reason it, it helps Villa is because it's, he's got a good partnership down on that left-hand side with Matt Target and, and, and two people um, on the opposition have to feel the need to man-mark Jack Grealish. That's certainly what Southampton did at the weekend. But he still manages to get out of those tight little corners. But what it does do is it allows Matt Target to bomb forward on the overlap because the, the fullback and the winger are so preoccupied by trying to mark Grealish out of the game. I think he's such a... Um, graceful player to watch, so elegant the way he, he glides across the pitch and... I think it's inevitable, isn't it, that he's going to end up at one of the top clubs in the country. I know he's a Boyhood Villa fan, captain, signed a new contract, but surely he deserves the chance to play in the Champions League. Well, if that is the case, I mean, what, he, he might play in the Champions League with Aston Villa, mightn't he, Ding? No. no. I very much I very much doubt it. I think, I've got to say, I think the job that Dean Smith done has been incredible to turn it around. We've got to remember, there wasn't a big pre-season, a uh, big summer break for them to... to do lots of work on the training pitch. It was a quick turnaround. I'm just amazed now when I watch Villa, I think, wow, they look like a real complete side, you know, much better defensively. The, the players aren't different. I know they brought in some some good signings. Well, they, 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 they are, they are, are quite similar. different, aren't they? I mean, in the fullbacks well, not, have been upgraded. Not at the back. Well, the, well Matty Cash is coming in at right fullback, Target at left fullback, Martinez, the goalkeeper, is important. Um, Traore, they've added. Barkley, they've added. And Watkins, they've added. But I think most of the work was done during the lockdown period, wasn't it? When they were looking at videos of Napoli and Lazio and teams that defend in a slightly different way um, to those in the Premier League. And they wanted to adjust and they've done brilliantly in that. And uh, he he deserves 
a great deal of credit for the way that he has stiffened that team up. I mean, that is, it's been pretty impressive that they decided to use the lockdown period to readjust their, their defensive, uh, the way they defend. And I mean, on Saturday, watching that game back, that Southampton match, the fact that they just threw every single body in, yeah. in front of everything. That, I mean, that that commitment, that gives you confidence, doesn't it, Dean? As, as a... As a as a member of that team, at maybe at the top end of the pitch, looking behind you and seeing those guys doing that, I mean that that must fill you with belief that you can achieve something. Of course it does. I think it's the same when, as a defender, you see your your team creating chances and your forwards getting the better of the opposition. It's the same when you look back and see defenders throwing their bodies. and And I like that sort of mentality where they they almost celebrate every time that they do something like that between each other I, I really like that about Villa at the moment they've got that kind of that real sort of intensity in their defending that aggression in their defending which I think I think they need but I just you know look the, the back two are the same Douglas Luis is the same they've slightly tweaked John McGinn's role which I think has been important in the way that he plays he sacrificed some of what he's what he's great at going forward for that defensive role, but yeah, look, not going I mean, for my fantasy team. I've got to be honest with you. I had to get rid of him because he wasn't getting enough points. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But look, I'm just been I've just been so impressed with Villa and the, what they've done in a short space of time. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the channelized Bimbingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Manchester United against Southampton is 8.15 on Tuesday night. One league win in eight for Southampton. But as we've already mentioned, Saints probably should have had a penalty in that game with Aston Villa. And they had to keep them at bay in the second half. Scramble off the line in the second half as well. And the finest, the finest of offside calls. They will pose a threat, won't they, to Manchester United on Tuesday night, Crook? Under normal circumstances, I would say yes. um, Because they proved this season they are a a dangerous team but I just think the injuries have hit them so hard obviously already without Carl Walker Peters and Vestergaard two of their first choice defenders Theo Walcott going down with that nasty looking hamstring injury was a sad moment really for him and for the club they lost Diallo as well who'd been playing as a makeshift right back so they're so thin on the ground in, in terms of numbers that I think this is a good time for Manchester United to play Southampton and also they've had some difficult games as well Arsenal in the FA Cup Arsenal in the league that Aston Villa game would have taken a lot out of them physically and they have lost a bit of their attacking mojo as well they're really struggling to score goals during that run that you talked about Danny Ings is dropping deeper I think they need to find a way to get him higher up the pitch where he can really be a threat in, in the penalty area that's been so that, I, that's been an issue all season though isn't it if you look at the uh, the expected goals and the number of, of chances that they create they're, they're not a very creative team They've relied a lot on keeping clean sheets and nicking the odd goal here and there. Yeah, and I don't think that will be enough against this Manchester United team, providing United turn up with the correct attitude, unlike their last game at Old Trafford when they allowed Sheffield United to beat them. Because 
they carried the look of a team who felt they could just turn up and win. But if, if United are at, at it, if they pick their best team, I actually think this will be a home win. We sort of discussed this on Saturday when we were at uh, the Emirates, Dean. These big games, they keep coming, don't they? And, the, and there's so many matches for the players to to, to, to negotiate that, that there is going to be a point of the season, maybe this is it, where the quality level does dip because people just are slightly off the margins. They're slightly not at their very best. They're a couple of percentage points down in terms of their fitness and they are a little bit fatigued. And I think on Saturday night, for all the fact that it was quite a good game in terms of it kept us interested, it wasn't necessarily the highest quality, but it kept us sort of compelled to watch that Arsenal-Manchester United match. It was short on quality. Cavani missed two guilt-edged opportunities. Rashford took seven touches when one would have done in front of goal. Um, I know it was a bit behind him, but on the best of his days, he would have converted that chance. And on the best of their days, Manchester United probably would have won that game. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it is a tough run of fixtures for, for any player. Um, and I think this is where your manager and your sports scientists, I think this is where you really, really have to be on the money, slightly creative um, in terms of not just picking the same side, the same subs every single time. You know, you've got Juan Mata on the bench, a lovely creative player that's slightly different to Greenwood, who's not exactly been um, fantastic this season. I thought he, he would have been the perfect foil against Sheffield United, possibly. Uh, just little tweaks like that, but also knowing who's struggling. I mean, Fernandez looks like in the last two or three games, as if his levels have just dropped, plays he's played pretty much you know every minute, hasn't he, since he arrived at Manchester United. And and it's about being slightly creative and hoping that it not hoping that it works, but expecting. Um, different players to come in and give the opposition something to think about. You mentioned that on Saturday night, didn't you, about Juan Mata? And then going back to earlier in the season, I'm thinking in particular about the Newcastle game where Manchester United weren't playing particularly well. They played him against Newcastle and he was an inspiration to get them moving again. He almost restarted their their engine. And he's got he's got great qualities, Juan Mata. I mean, he's a Champions League winner. He's a he's he's a multi-title winner with Spain. He's he's a he's a proper player. So and he's great around the dressing room as well. So it'd be interesting to see whether or not they utilised him a little bit more. I wonder why they haven't really, to be honest with you. Um it's imperative that Manchester United do win these games because for whatever reason they can't win against the big six, Crook. That probably tells you where they're at, to be honest. Um, I don't think any of us seriously believe they were in a title race and that, and that rec- you, you can't win a, a Premier League title if you can't score goals, let alone pick up wins against the big six. So I think the top four is the target now. I think it's gettable um, when you look at the fact that Tottenham are going through a bad period. Chelsea are in a bit of a transition under their new manager. Arsenal, for me, are, are still a long way short of being Champions League contenders. I, I agree with Roy Keane about the game at the weekend. It was... Um, it was disappointing to see the lack of belief in Manchester United because Arsenal, with so many of their recent key performers out injured, were there for the taking and United didn't have the killer instinct. OK, 6pm on Tuesday night, Arsenal go to Wolverhampton Wanderers, as you say, without key personnel. No Saka, no Tierney, no Aubameyang. Martinelli off at half-time in that game. Mikel Arteta told me afterwards, Dean, that he hopes that it doesn't derail their run, but... No recovery, no tactical sessions. It's very difficult to keep churning out performances. Yeah, it is. But, and that's where you've, you're, you're reliant, aren't you, on your sports scientists and to make sure that every player is at a decent level, that when they do come in, they can have an impact or they can, at the very least, uh, put in a good performance. I actually thought they looked okay against Manchester United, considering that they were missing... Saka and Aubameyang and Martinelli we're not quite sure I know you were you were talking promisingly about him before the game but he's yet to really play enough football for him to be probably the player that we all know he's going to be um, and I, I actually thought they did okay and I think he would be secretly quite pleased to come away with a with a draw so I think he's under no illusions and I thought it was interesting in one of his interviews he talked about the team being humble and I think that is important for Arsenal not to suddenly think, "Oh, we're back. We're 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 going to contend. It's going to be we're going to be into the top four. He was talking about the players remaining humble, keeping to to the things that he's been trying to implement over the 
the, the time that he's been there and and, and, I, and I do see that so I've, I've still been impressed with Arteta and, and I think he knows where they're at I think it was interesting to turn around and say uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to turn around and say it's like an NBA season at the moment there's just games every single day and it, and it feels a little bit almost relentless um, and you're being very kind to me about Martinelli what I actually said at half time was is I've got a feeling that Martinelli always scores in big games when he starts he's going to come out in the second half he's going to score the only goal of the game and then the board went up and he was substituted <laughs> uh, they've only considered two goals in the last seven games though and they're taking on a Wolves team that aren't exactly prolific are they two blanks uh, and blunt against Chorley as well where they scored a wonder goal and that was it um, what's what's going to happen with Wolverhampton Wanderers Crook it's a concern and I think their supporters now are starting to get concerned I watched a lot of the Palace game and it was very drab I think the expected goals for Wolves at half time was zero what's um, happened to you so- by the way because you've said the words expected in goals a few times now and you, it's almost like you're starting to get behind the whole system it's interesting well, maybe it? I'm being converted no I just ne- I'd never seen that stat before a team to be predicted to score exactly zero goals <laughs> they've clear they've clearly lost their rhythm there were rumours swirling at the weekend that maybe Wolves might consider a change I, I don't see that Nuno Espirito Santo is under pressure at this stage and they've got a nice buffer to the relegation places well nine points um, but Fulham have got a game in hand on them and they're 14th and this is a team that have consistently finished in the top half of the table over the last couple of years yeah but maybe they've overachieved in the past couple of seasons and now they're finding their natural place in the food chain well, I think they've given up some of their better players actually you know they have but that's a problem when you're in bed with one particular agent as they are and he's one of the super agents he's always using Wolves as a stepping stone his aim surely when he brings a player to Wolverhampton Wanderers is to move him on to a bigger club so that's a problem in in Wolves business model Leeds against Everton is 7.30pm on Wednesday night Uh, Everton got caught on the counter a few times against Newcastle and, and they would be very disappointed to lose that game for me Dean I think they really miss it shows how much they miss Alan in midfield yeah, I think he's he's shown his importance, hasn't he, at the base of that midfield. Um, and again, I don't think Decore or even Gomez, when he's come on as well, Davis, Davis has tried yeah. to play in that position. Yeah, no one's really played it as well as Alan has. And, um, and well, he's and, a premium think, central midfielder, isn't he? I mean, he's top level. Yeah, he is. Of course, he is. And and you are going to miss a player like that. I just thought it was more a case of in the forward areas. I was disappointed with Everton. You know, you looked at the starting eleven. I thought, yeah, they could have a real go at this Newcastle side that aren't exactly confident. And they just lacked any real spark, any, again, any real rhythm. And you then look at the bench and they've got nothing, literally zero to bring on and change the game in the second half when Newcastle was suddenly finding themselves on top. So I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle for Ancelotti um, with that squad that he's got. Well, you talk about not having spark in the forward areas for Everton, but Leeds United certainly had a spark in the forward areas against Leicester City in a right old ding-dong on Sunday afternoon. And Patrick Bamford, who was on the TalkSport Breakfast Show on Monday morning with Laura Woods, certainly now, I mean, they, they sort of talked to him about his ambitions and his ambitions certainly now include an international call-up because he was suggesting that at the beginning of the season that was nowhere near his agenda. It was just about scoring goals. He is scoring goals now for fun. But not only that, he plays a pivotal role in the team. He's a very unselfish player. There was one, for the clinching goal, the 3-1 goal, he breaks away down that left-hand side. He is in. And a natural goal scorer, someone who's a real proper killer, usually is going to go for goal. But he realised that he had a teammate, Jack Harrison, in a much better position for, you know, we talk about expected goals. Maybe his expected goal was 0.6 and Jack's was 0.9. So he calculated it very quickly. Obviously, he wasn't thinking like that and slipped it across for a certain goal. I mean, I I thought he was absolutely sensational. I mean, I've kept him in my fantasy team all season. I did take the captaincy away from him this week, which is a bit annoying. Uh, But (laughs) certainly, I mean, he's racking up the points, not only for me, but for Leeds United. And I think that selfless streak um, that he's got is is one of his biggest qualities in the eyes of Marcelo Bielsa. That's yeah. why he's put so much faith in him over the past few seasons. It was a fantastic goal. I always love a goal that goes in off the crossbar. I don't know why, it just adds something to me. Um, 
and, and he's, he spoke as well on breakfast as, as he's playing on the pitch at the moment. I still think he's a little way off an England call-up. I think if you look at Callum Wilson, for example, who's been superb for Newcastle in a team that don't create as many chances as Leeds do, and he's obviously played for Gareth Southgate, I would say he's ahead of Patrick Bamford. Calvert-Lewin is ahead of Bamford. Tammy Abraham might be on, on dodgy ground, but listen, he's making a good case, isn't he? Well, I, the, the way I'm hearing things, the European Championship squads are going to be much bigger anyway, so maybe they'll just take them all. <laughs> maybe Dean Ashton will get a recall yeah maybe you will no thanks <laughs> what you just don't want to be away from home or you just don't want to have to do the running again exactly I don't. I may I may look like I've got a, a gym t-shirt on but there ain't going to be no running in my legs <laughs> right let's get to roulette rivalry It's time to look at Newcastle Crystal Palace through the prism of roulette rivalry with producer Lucy. Hello, how are you? Hello, yeah, I'm good, Tom. Oh, good. Um, have you had any more um, illegal driving lessons? No, it's not illegal. Is it not? For a starters. But one thing I did actually want to run by you all is I don't actually have a name yet for my car. Why does a What's car what? need a name? My wife's got a Suzuki Swift and she calls it Taylor. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Do you not have a name for your car, Dean? I don't know. I've, Mr. I Maserati. Didn't know I, I didn't know it was a thing, to be honest. Maybe I should think about it. Right, okay. So maybe the uh, the listeners can tweet us in for a name. Uh, what colour is it? Kind of like a claret. Claret. A claret Ford KA 1998. Yeah. <laughs> Lucy, is it older than you? Uh, no, it's a year younger than me. All oh, right. okay. That's good. Uh, yeah, just tweet us at Sam Matterface or uh, if you want to get in touch and tell me what you think uh, Lucy's car name should be. Uh, should we move on to Roulette Rivalry? Yeah, let's do that. Um, okay, so uh, this week for Roulette Rivalry, it's slightly different. We're not only previewing key players, we're also doing key personnel. And I'm going to start with you, Crook, and I'm going to give you Graham Jones. Oh. And your time starts now. Yeah, Graham Jones, this was a feel-good story, actually, because he's a northeast lad. His dad was a massive Newcastle fan. He was obviously on the coaching staff alongside Jason Tindall at Bournemouth because he wanted a voice from outside the club when Newcastle came calling an opportunity he couldn't turn down. Bournemouth got a six-figure uh, release fee for him. And if you look at the weekend, Bournemouth's first game post-Graham Jones, hammered at Reading, disgraceful performance. Newcastle's first game with Graham Jones. They end up beating a good Everton side by two goals to nil. I think he was very involved in that. He was certainly right at the centre of the warm-ups before the game. He was very vocal on the touchline. There are conspiracy theorists who see this as a Mike Ashley appointment planning to replace Steve Bruce. I'm not completely sure that's the case, but I think they just felt he needed a strong person alongside him. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he's been a. It's been an interesting uh, decision to bring him in, but a good one because this is a guy who's been to a World Cup semi-final with Belgium, done very good things with Roberto Martinez as his assistant, and he's highly thought of. Very abrasive. Not 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 necessarily a, a player's favourite coach, but maybe that's what Newcastle need at this moment in time. Right. Let's go back to the players now, and I'll go to you, Sam. Oh. And I'm going to give you. The Palace goalkeeper, Guayeta. And ah. starts now. The uh, Spanish goalkeeper who uh, has been linked with a move back to La Liga because of his performances being so good. His contract runs out, I think, in the summer, actually. And um, I, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty about Crystal Palace in their future. But what they need is to keep hold of him because he's a brilliant shot stopper. He's very commanding in his penalty area. He's got a great hairstyle, which he dyes blonde. Um, and he, he just is reliable he makes good saves he made a couple of really good saves in that game against Wolverhampton Wanderers from William Jose twice in that match and they were key uh, to the victory that Crystal Palace managed to achieve and when you've got a good solid base and, and, and Palace have had that you need a decent goalkeeper as well and he's certainly one that I think even other Premier League clubs have looked at over this transfer window beautiful right Dean are you nervous it's your first one? Oh, okay let's do it I'm going to give you, Dean, Jamal Lewis. Well, Norwich um, will class him as somebody that came through their system, but they probably took him quite late from Luton. Um, but he was, when I was in there coaching, he was a left winger slash midfielder. But then once he got into the first team, they used him as a left back because of his athleticism. 
an incredible, incredible athlete. I think he's found it very difficult with lockdown to be, to go from Norwich to Newcastle, which is renowned to be a very difficult place to go in terms of being able to relax um, in the city. So that's been difficult for him, but uh, a fantastic assist for, for Wilson's second goal and somebody that I think will only grow oh. in confidence as he, uh, as he matures. I thought it was excellent in the game against uh, Everton at the weekend, wasn't he? Almost an unsung hero in the fact that he's got up and down so well on that left-hand side and, as you say, created the goal for Callum Wilson. Right, OK, let's uh, move on. We've got three big fixtures to come at the bottom of the table. We'll get to Manchester City in just a second. Um, they're playing six o'clock on Wednesday. Fulham-Leicester is six o'clock on Wednesday as well. Um, and Sheffield United against West Brom is probably the biggest one at the bottom of the table. That's a Tuesday night game. It's a six o'clock start. Winners at Manchester United, Sheffield United, despite needing Ramsdale to make a couple of decent saves. Sheffield United almost got an equaliser against Manchester City. Would they be your favourites here, Dean? Because they seem to have had an upturn in not just their performances, but their confidence. Yes, but only slightly because West Brom are a totally different side away from the Hawthorns than they are at their home. It's yeah. incredible, actually, to think how con- how contrasting the two are. Um, so I wouldn't say they're big favourites. I think this will be, again, maybe a, a, a tricky game to call. But I think what's really, really interesting about this game is, and, and is the results that have just gone with Crystal Palace with Newcastle um, and Burnley's recent good run as well. I think that's just really hurt the mentality of these players that are in the bottom three. So it's who can get their players right and set and in the right mentality for this big, big clash. Um, uh, is Yokuslu, uh, is that how you say it? Yokuslu uh, from Celta Vigo going to be okay uh, to play in this game? Uh, that's his first name, by the way, just in case you didn't know that West Brom have just signed him from uh, from Spanish football. Um, I think he'll be in the squad. Um, whether he'll be thrown straight into the starting lineup, it's not really the Sam Allardyce way. I, I thought that the striker they signed, uh, Diagne, did well at the weekend when he came on, obviously set up the goal. So he looks like he could be a useful asset in their fight against relegation. But it's defensively, isn't it? They, they concede so many bad goals, as Sam Allardyce said himself after that game against Fulham. And I would make Sheffield United favourites. I think they've got a bit of spirit back. They're, they're playing for the manager again. They're putting their bodies on the line. Aaron Ramsdale now is starting to produce the, the type of form that got him into Gareth Southgate's uh, thoughts at one stage. I thought he was excellent again against Manchester City at the weekend. I still think it's a massive uphill task for both these teams to stay up. But I guess if Sheffield United were to get three points, then they would have a bit of belief. There's some frustration, I think, from Chris Wilder that they haven't been able to strengthen their squad this window. And maybe he perceives that as the board almost giving up on their chances of staying in the Premier League. Well, you can understand that. They are 13 points back from Brighton, who are in 17th. And bearing in mind that we're well over halfway in the season as far as Sheffield United are concerned, uh, and they haven't got anywhere near 13 points so far, you can understand why the board might be a little bit reticent to splash the cash on a Premier League survival bid, which does look forlorn. Uh, so does that of West Bromwich Albion, because they are nine points back, having played 21 games, and Fulham, just above them, who have got a game in hand, uh, have got 14 points. This really is two six-pointers in a week for West Bromwich Albion. The very fact that they didn't win the one at the weekend means they have to win this one. They've got some good characters around the dressing room. Pereira's done well, five in five. He needs watching if you're Sheffield United. Bartley, very good person to have around the dressing room. He scored one. He could have had another, actually, in that game at the weekend. And he's the kind of player that you turn to, I think, when you really need to dig in because he's just a big character. I mean, he's not the best defender in the Premier League, but he's a big character and he will pop up with goals as well. Yeah, he will. And that's going to be important, isn't it? Your centre-backs and, and that they need to chip in with goals because they're not exactly free-flowing in attack. But I just thought, I saw Sam Ardice's reaction at the final whistle as he sort of turned to Scott Park. He looked absolutely devastated, to be honest, in terms of that they didn't. They turned that around and then they'd given a, a soft goal away. He looked really, really sort of down because he just knows that they're the games. They're the games they need to pick up three points from, and they had it in their grasp. Um, and so it's going to be similar against Sheffield United. If they don't come out of that with a victory, he knows how important that is. 
and he'll know how much harder that task will be. I'm not sure I particularly was a, a fan of the look either. Were you with the hood up doing the interviews? Not sure it's all conveyed the right message. I would have gone. I mean, I know that umbrellas and managers are completely outlawed now, but I don't think uh, wearing a, a hood works either. To be honest, he looked like he looked like he was just about to go and raid a co-op. Um, what about Fulham against Leicester, which uh, is on at six o'clock on Wednesday night? Mitrovic started this game at the weekend against West Brom. He hadn't scored since September. Set up the opener uh, for Decordova Reed, who uh, has, has been very good for them over the course of the season, and he gives them a bit more of a platform. Dean, would you be an advocate of Mitrovic starting this game? I think it's, I'm not too sure if I'm honest, because I think, um, especially away from home, I think that that you, they need to play slightly differently. Um, look, I, I always think that in a, in a struggling team, you need players that score goals. And he's consistently done that throughout his career. And so I would have him in the side over Cavalero. It's just, I've been impressed with the way they've been playing with, Cavalero has that false nine. I thought they put in some very, very good performances. Um, so maybe he's just trying to a bit more competition for places just to sharpen the, the players up. I think he'd be really disappointed. They haven't picked up more points. Would he be disappointed with that games. game against uh, West Brom because they played really well in the first half, didn't kill it off. They could have had a penalty actually as well when Semi Ajayi was uh, tugging and hugging and, and dragging Lookman to the floor. You know, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see that. No, there was a tiny, tiny touch, oh, and then Dean, look, you would have gone no, Honestly, down. honestly, and then and then Lookman kind of, you know, felt as if he was continuing to be pulled, and he wasn't. He just lost his balance. But look, that there was. They had two one v ones. One hit the inside of the post. That was another opportunity where he should have shot before he was even tackled. And and Scott Park would be so disappointed that they didn't have that clinical cutting edge, and that's been the only issue because the rest of their play has been very very good in recent weeks. Um, I got our uh, intrepid producer, um, Declan McCarthy from the live team to uh, uh, get Opta to give us a bit of research on penalties. And um, we did a, we got a table through from them about penalties. And in September, for example, you basically could get a penalty whenever you liked. There was 20 penalties from 28 games in September. There were 11 penalties from 34 games in uh, October. So there was that little sort of recalibration there were 16 penalties from 36 games in November. But then, as the game started to rack up in January and uh, December, the penalties started to disappear. In January, there were only 10 penalties from the matches. And I think uh, um, it ended up being 50 matches over that period. And there were only 10 penalties. What does that tell you about the way that the Premier League has gone? It tells us that it was getting silly and there were too many soft penalties being awarded. Really? I mean, who would have thought that? Oh, there we go. So, so that whole experiment was just to back up the point that you've been making for a few months now. <laughs> Pretty much. But also, Well done, Sam. But also, here's something I want to point out. It's not exactly consistency, is it? I mean, if VAR was supposed to bring consistency, it is about as inconsistent as you can get. No one's arguing, so we're all on the same page, unlike the PGMOL. <laughs> My favourite uh, PGMOL uh, faux pas of the week was when me and Dean were at Tottenham Hotspur when um, Mo Salah had his goal disallowed for a handball on the halfway line 27 minutes before he put the ball in the back of the net. Um, <laughs> and uh, Firmino only handled it because Eric Dyer had handled it first and tried to pull him off the ball. Um, and apparently... It didn't matter uh, that uh, it was so far away from the final incident that resulted in the goal because it was a deliberate handball, at which point both Dean and I looked at each other and I'm sure we're about to say they're just making it up as they go along, but decided we wouldn't be that defamatory. But... They are making it up as they go along. Um, Burnley against Manchester City is a six o'clock game on Wednesday. City eight wins on the bounce, conceding just one goal. They don't score bucket loads of goals, Crook, but they don't need to. No, they don't because their defensive play this season has been so exceptional. And, uh, you know, in, in, in Ruben Diaz, I think you have to say he has been one of the most transformational signings of the summer window. Um, and you could 
probably compare his impact on that Manchester City team to what Virgil van Dijk did for Liverpool. They've um, not had the services of Aguero for much of the season. Gabriel Jesus still flatters to deceive. I know he scored the early goal against Sheffield United. Sterling um, is right out of form and I think that's gone under the radar in many ways. So they've had to rely on their defensive solidity. History tells us the teams with the best defensive records win titles and I think that will be the case again this season. Uh, Dean, uh, we must talk about transformational players at Burnley as well. Ben Mee often goes under the radar, but uh, he was out injured earlier in the campaign. When he came back into the team, since he's come back into the team, they've taken 21 of their 22 points. That can't be a coincidence, can it? No, and um, I think him and Dwight McNeil are the two players that when they've been missing, they've really struggled. And when they both start games, they're a, they're a different side because obviously Dwight McNeil gives them so much going one way. And Ben Mee really strikes up that partnership with, with Tarkovsky unbelievably well, organises the, the back four in the midfield. Uh, when you're at the games, you can clearly hear him vocally. Um, and I think the, probably the only thing that's maybe um, upsetting Sean Dyche at the moment is that they're actually playing so much better, they're much more of a threat, albeit poorly against Chelsea. Um, but they've had some horrendous fixtures, yeah. you know, against the top sides. And that's just, and, and he, he was right in what he said, you know, you, you've got to expect a team like Burnley, they're going to get beat by the top sides at times, but they've been very good Burnley at being able to shrug that off, move on to the really important games and then be very, very good, very hard to beat and get results like they did against Villa. Some cracking fixtures this week. All the reaction and action on Talk Sport over the next uh, three days. It doesn't stop, does it? Because we've got huge, huge weekend of action, including Manchester United versus Everton live on TalkSport at the weekend. And then next week is the FA Cup uh, in midweek. So it just it just hurtles around, doesn't it? Which is great. Lucky for us. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.